Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Haunted Heart Podcast. We are here, and I'm looking at Katie's feed right now. Yep. On this desk. Yep. We were just talking about how great it would be if she started her own foot fetish Insta. I'm thinking about it. You know, I mean, I've been in a lot of different places in my life, and at the current place that I'm in right now, I'm really thinking about just starting up a foot fetish Insta. I don't really have anything to lose. <laughs> I guess I could join OnlyFans. It would be fun because they couldn't track my feet back to me. And, you know, why not? I was going to say that. That's the one thing that you'd be able to do. I mean, it's just, you know, it would be very incognito. I've heard that there are OnlyFans where people just like step in different things. Like they step Uh in different substances. Absolutely. With different types of heels on. I've seen it. Wait, don't ask me how I know that. Oh, I don't want to ruin my heels, though. (laughs) I was considering, like, I was thinking the people I was talking about, I think, are barefoot. I've never actually seen it. I have heard of it Mm. on the internet. I've seen the, like I said, I've seen the people that they have their little, they have the heels on and they step on different things, crunchy things, slippery things. What's really funny is when they step on it and then they slip. Oh, shit. That's funny. When they step on, like, banana peels and, and different things like that. Absolutely. I don't want to do that, though. Fuck that. Fuck that clown shit. I think you could make a killing. I think you could. Probably could. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I should go find that DM I got on Instagram all those years ago about being a foot fetish model. You're like, how much will you pay me? (laughs) I'm going to see you on like footlife.com or some bullshit like (laughs) that. (laughs) Why not, I don't even know if that's an actual website, but it sounds like it would be. It's fine. I'm dead inside. Want to pay you to see my feet? That's really the speed that I'm running in life. Right about now. Absolutely. I have a heating pad on my stomach because my body's rejecting food. So there's that. Yeah. Just to sort of set the pace for today, guys. But Absolutely. it's all right. You know, we 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 weren't here last week. You probably noticed. Did they? Uh, maybe they I did. I don't know if they maybe did. Maybe some or if they of didn't. them did. But uh in case you did notice, we're both kind of going through some shit. But that's okay because in life, you go through shit. And there's been quite a few of our listeners who message us telling us about the shit that they're going through. And we were like, we are going through some shit, but there are people who listen to us. I don't know why, but they do. (laughs) And they, you know, look forward to our episodes. And if our voices in the dark help you feel less alone, then it's worth it. We'll just wade through this shit together. We will. We will. Together, but but also separate. Like always, yeah. Socially distanced, if you will. Distant. Yeah. Far, far away. We love you from over here. We do. In our little little place. But yes, we're coming back at you this week. Trying to. Trying. (laughs) Very much, very much in the mood of like (laughs) desperation mixed with like 
more desperation just <laughs> coming at you. I cre- I don't even I don't even remember what this fucking episode is about. It's it's my episode. I made it. I wrote made it. I, I made wrote it. it. <laughs> I wrote it a few weeks ago before and our then, lives um, just sort of took a uh, shift. Yeah, then just took a major shift in 2021. It's like holding my fucking beer, and you know, and I'm standing here holding its beer. Uh, yeah. So I don't even I don't even remember what the fuck this is about. Hold on, let me read. My we're gonna notes. we're gonna discover it again. <laughs> we're gonna rediscover it. This is gonna be brand new for all of us here today on the Haunted Heart Podcast. <laughs> brand spanking new. I don't even know where we're going. Actually, TBH. I don't even think I fully researched this. <laughs> no, I did. Uh, but at the same time, I made a mental note that I was like, I actually should probably do a little more research and then I wasn't able to <laughs> but we're going to go with the flow here folks we're going with it we're going in absolutely so this episode's for Danielle she loves when we get on the mic and we don't know what the fuck randomly. we're doing she loves it she <laughs> I don't think I think if it was up to her we wouldn't even script anything we just we just sit here well we barely script shit anyway but like rarely are we so off the cuff Rarely, no. Uh, <laughs> Here's the thing. Rarely are we both off the cuff at the same time. Yeah. We have our cycles, right? And we normally can compensate. But right now, both of us are off the wagon of mental health at the same fucking Pretty time, much. motherfuckers. Pretty much. So it's really we not anybody both, here to save you. Speaking of wagon, we're like on the Oregon Trail and we both have dysentery. Yeah. For sure. Definitely me with my fucking corn kernel heating heating pad over here. I'm really living it. Yeah. Oh, it's good. So for Did you know that you can get so sad your body rejects food? I I didn't. I didn't know about sadness. I know that I can get so angry that my body just like hurts itself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like so angry that you know you fucking just your heart like it's like, listen, bro, if you don't stop, I'm going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> be careful. It's I'm like a stop. weird game of chicken. Your heart's like back down. Yeah. I knew that. Didn't know about the sadness, though. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't Turns breaking that. news. Great. Anyway. They're probably on. like, damn, you could have just not recorded you an episode not, this week. And we would have felt better. <laughs> no, it's fine. We're going to we're going to we're gonna tip it up. Serve it up. Serve it up. OK, we're going to serve it up. Tip us? it up. So for today's episode, uh, I'm going to dive into some true crime. It's going to be a little bit of different true crime, though, than what we typically cover. Oh, okay. Uh, so I have a checklist of things that we'll need to carry with us. So got your pen and your paper ready. I'm ready. So I'm going to need everyone. Never to been have more ready. Their best, their absolute best, all black cat suit. I'm into it. Several large duffel bags a really good ski mask, some snacks, mm. and potentially some explosives. Mm. So if we can all gather those, take a moment, rummage through your closet. Like the dynamite man from Atlantis that was posted in the Facebook group. Absolutely. Love Loved that. him. I love him. I might watch that movie. I also really liked the mole man, the digging man. Yeah. For some reason. What was his word that he used to say? Oh gosh, I don't know. He had a word that he used to say, right? You know, it's been so long. Did since he used I've to say mole? Mole. mole? mole. He might have said mole. I don't know. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. Fantastic film. I need to rewatch that. We both do, probably. We should rewatch it. Uh, so I'm glad you have all of your stuff. 
I do. Pack it up, get dressed, because I'm going to take, well, I'm going to map us, actually, through the world's largest heist in history. A heist that was so insane that police today still can't quite describe how it was done. Mm-hmm. A heist from a vault that was thought to be impenetrable, broken into with supplies you could find at your local Walmart, protected by 10 layers of security, infrared heat detectors, Doppler radar, magnetic fields, seismic sensors, arcane magic, and a combination with over 100 million possible combinations. 100 million. That's my stomach for you. Absolutely. My stomach came to play today. <laughs> what was in the vault? Well, Tell me everything. We'll get into that. So, you've piqued my curiosity. 100 million. Yes, 100 million, which is also roughly the same amount that was stolen. Oh. Which actually also coincidentally is the same amount Jeff uh, Bezos makes about every 11 hours. So, there's that. He makes a hundred million dollars every 11 hours. That's that research that I was talking about that I'm not quite sure, but that's what uh, I'm assuming. So I'm just going to assume. Yes, that just seems we should stop. That's excess, right? Like that's just really stop that. That is not good. It's not. Absolutely not. (laughs) That shouldn't be allowed. I don't mean allowed by law. I mean, allowed by the universe. Like the universe should just stop you at some point. I I mean, every 11 hours. How many 11 hours do you have that you're making $100 million? Shit. You you definitely got at least two 11 hours a day. (laughs) Right? That's math. So this was $100 million worth of diamonds, jewels, and other various precious items. Items that to this day have mostly been unrecovered so who were the perpetrators what was their plan what happened afterwards you are about to find out on this episode of the haunted heart podcast diamonds are a heist's best friend i wrote we're that about to find when out i was in a better place Good job. <laughs> <laughs> it was good i appreciate it okay are you ready yeah all right, so it was February 16th, 2003. Oh, I also have to thank Wired for this article that I'm about to uh, quite literally read from. So Thanks, Wired. <laughs> Thanks, Wired. Cool. So February 16th, 2003, a clear frozen Sunday evening in Belgium. We have this guy. His name's Leonardo. Leonardo mm. Notar Bartolo. Mm. So our guy he took the E19 motorway out of Antwerp. In the passenger seat, a man known as Speedy oh, fidgeted nervously, damp with sweat. Ew. You know a guy named Speedy is a sweater. Uh, absolutely. You know he's a sweaty one. Leonardo punched it, and his uh, rented car sped south toward Brussels. They hadn't slept in two days. Relatable. Yes. <laughs> Speedy scanned the traffic behind them in the side view mirror and maintained a tense silence. Noto Bartolo had worked with him for 30 years. They were childhood buddies. But he knew that his friend had a habit of coming apart at the end of a job. Hmm. The others on the team hadn't won Speedy. They didn't want Speedy in. They were like, oh. no. They were like, well, they didn't want him on this one. They said he was a liability. Hmm. I mean, you, you get to getting itchy and like sweaty and, and doing that. People tend to doubt your composure, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Leonardo could see their point, but out of loyalty, he defended his friend. Speedy could handle it, he said. And he had. They had executed the plan perfectly. No alarms, no police, no problems. The heist wouldn't be discovered until guards checked the vault on Monday morning. The rest of the team was already driving back to Italy with the gems. They'd rendezvous outside Milan to divvy it all up. There was no reason to worry. Leonardo and Speedy just had to burn the incriminating evidence sitting in a garbage bag in the back seat. Leonardo pulled off the highway and turned onto a dirt road that led into a dense thicket. The spot wasn't visible from the highway, though the headlights of passing cars fractured through the trees. Leonardo told Speedy to stay put and got out to scout the area. He passed a rusty, dilapidated gate that looked like it hadn't been touched since the Second World War. It was hard to see in the dark, but the spot seemed abandoned. He decided to burn the stuff near a shed behind a small pond and head back to the car. When he got there, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. Speedy had lost it. Of course. Why did he fucking trust him? Damn it. Never trust a guy named Speedy. Never trust a guy who's fucking sweating bullets. Like he's... Listen, if you're that nervous, <laughs> maybe don't yeah. pull off one of the world's largest heists in history. Yeah, maybe just don't opt in. Like, maybe that's not for you. You if, know how you had to take, like, job those quizzes in high school that told you, like, what job you would be good at and uh-huh. whatnot? Like, I don't think that his would have said bank heist guy. Right. I don't think so either. And honestly, like... have the constitution for it. Honestly, if you're not coming at me with that, like... Rihanna and Sandra Bullock, Ocean's Eight energy. Yeah. I don't want it. Yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be exceptionally it. calm. Absolutely. So the contents of the garbage bag was strewn amongst the trees. Speedy was stomping through the mud, hurling paper into the underbrush. Oh my god! Spools of videotape clung to the branches like streamers on a Christmas tree. Yes. This guy lost it. <laughs> he lost his fucking this mind. This guy is us level. Relatable. Off, off of the wagon. <laughs> he is not doing well. All right. Israeli and Indian it's currency. It's kind of impressive, though. Don't you think? Like, I'm sure they were mad, but I also think that there was probably just like a small, a tiny, teeny, tiny part of Leonardo that was like a little impressed. I would be, I'd be like, wow, what a colossal fuck up, you know? <laughs> well, if I was him, I would think that I, I would just be glad that nobody else saw it like in the group because nobody else wanted him. So they were all like, you know, whatever. And I'm like, at least you're Do fucking doing this Do you think he knew in that moment that he fucked up? Do you think he was like, in this moment, he knew he fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think yeah. that's what happened. Yep. He I would just like, stand back and damn. just watch all this and be like, yep, this yep. is not a great idea. <laughs> I'm fucked up, dude. <laughs> DJ Khaled, you played yourself. You played yourself. Congratulations, you played yourself. Yep. So uh, so you've got all this currency, which is skittered, uh, skittered past a half-eaten uh, salami sandwich at that. Pay attention to that. That comes into play later, <laughs> the salami sandwich. Of course Absolutely. it does. Is this a real story or is Absolutely, this like a this Coen a Brothers no, film? No, no this is a real story. it seems like it might just be a Coen Brothers nope. film. Nope, this is a real story. Why have they not made a movie about this? The mud around the car was flecked with dozens of tiny glittering diamonds. It would take hours to gather everything up and burn it. Speedy said, I think someone's coming, as he looked panicked around. (laughs) Speedy's lost it. (laughs) Speedy's done. So Leonardo glared at him. (laughs) 
Yeah, I bet he did. The forest was quiet except for the occasional sound of a car or truck on the highway. And I'm guessing Speedy's fucking uh, mental breakdown. Yeah. It was even possible to hear the faint gurgling of a small stream. Mm-hmm. Speedy, that's just Speedy pissing himself. <laughs> Speedy was breathing it's just fast him sweating and into the darkness. <laughs> Absolutely. His breathing was fast and shallow. The man was clearly in the midst of a full-blown panic attack. Get back in the car, Leonardo ordered. <laughs> I love this relationship. Yeah. Get back in the car. Back in the car. They were leaving. Nobody would ever find the stuff here. The jo- <laughs> so his plan uh-huh. was to just Well, they were supposed to burn it. it? Uh, they were supposed to burn it. I think they did burn it. They did burn it. The sandwich comes into play. So they get back in the car. The job was done. So that's it for them for right now. Patrick Pease and Adjum de Bruker. Strange names. (laughs) Just going to call them Patrick and Adjum. Oh, you didn't you didn't grow up with an Adjum? Adjum? No, I did not. They arrived at the Diamond Center the next morning. Okay. They had just received a frantic call. The vault had been compromised. The subterranean chamber was supposed to be one of the most secure safes in the world. Now, the foot-thick steel door was ajar, and more than 100 of the 189 safe deposit boxes had been busted open. Mm. Patrick and Adjum were stunned. The floor was strewn with wads of cash and velvet-lined boxes. Patrick stepped on a diiamond-encrusted bracelet. That would be me. Mm. <laughs> Whoops, didn't Guess mean to step to. on this multi-thousand dollar bracelet here yes guess all. first of all multi-thousand dollars <laughs> is that wrong that's wrong isn't it is it i don't is know it, it just seems wrong? weird no it's not grammatically wrong it just seems Mul- strange it's multi- multi-thousand dollar <laughs> diamond bracelet uh second of all you know that he like he stepped on that shit and he was like guess we'll have to damage this one out huh <laughs> He broke it. It's like, whoop, looks like they damaged that one in the heist. That's anybody, why they left it here. Anybody who's ever worked in food service knows that feeling. I just imagine. guess I'll have to damage this one. Just whoops, damage it didn't out. mean to like in, in a restaurant. Whoops, didn't mean to order three baskets of French fries. Guess we'll just have to do something about that, huh? <laughs> guess, whoops, we need to take those off. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I just imagine like, whoops, he's done stepped on like, he's done stepped on the crown jewels or some shit. Like. Right. I'd be nervous. Damn, what a fucking... Was that Adam? Didn't mean to step on the Queen's jewels. Was it Adam or Patrick that did this that? This was Patrick. Fucking Patrick. Patrick did it. Useless. Yeah. It appeared that the thieves had so much loot that they simply just could not carry it all away. Fuck. I was going to say, like, why only 100 boxes? Why did you just not have time for the other 89? They just couldn't carry it. All right. Yeah. Patrick and Adam led the Diamond Squad. Oh, <laughs> Oh my. They missed a real opportunity there. There's a great Bowie song called The Diamond Dogs, and that's what they should have called themselves. The Diamond Dogs. That's what I would call myself if I worked yeah. in such a job. Well, this is the Diamond Squad. I just imagine they have like a whole intro. You know what I mean? Like very There's a lot of like really quick zooms, like quick in, zooms. from the sixties and like circular spirals. Yep. Lots of sound effects. Yeah. Absolutely. They both have tiny, ridiculous guns. <laughs> Not guns because they're not actually allowed to have guns, but they're like they've got like those little tools that diamond and I, inspectors use to like oh a loop a loop a loop I is have that one what of it's those. called yeah mm-hmm. to like look at diamonds yep 
Oh, that's right. You did. You worked with diamonds for a bit in your past. Absolutely. Certified diamondologist. There you go. Amongst many other things. Yep. So they're <laughs> the they're part of the diamond squad, right? So they're the world's only specialized diamond police. Which is Wow. Do you get to wear diamonds? Is diamonds a part of the uniform? Do you get a discount on diamonds? I feel like probably all of that. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, could you imagine if it was just like they had these full like Star Wars level like armor, but it's just all like diamond encrusted and like Mm -hmm. futuristic and and fucking crazy and psycho. That would be cool. But it's not. Not, they probably just Patrick wear a bunch of like him. black. <laughs> they probably just wear matching black turtlenecks and black slacks That's and what no I would jewelry. Imagine. Absolutely, yeah. probably one of those things. So they were uh, at the Antwerp Diamond District. So eighty percent of the world's rough diamonds pass through this three square block area, which is under twenty four hour police surveillance and monitored by sixty three video cameras. About $3 billion worth of gem sales were reported there in 2003. But that's not counting a hidden world of handshake deals and off-ledger transactions. So, little shady shit going on over here. Mm. Fucking Antwerp Diamond District. Under the nose of the Diamond Police. Diamonds are a very bloody business, actually. Diamonds are pretty... uh, Yeah. mm. It's a nasty world. If you look into it, it's not very romantic. Those K commercials will really <laughs> try to sell you something it's not. Yeah. Business relationships. Much like love itself. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Just keep stab that knife. Just keep stabbing it. Yeah. In. Business relationships follow the ancient family and religious traditions of the district's dominant Jewish and Indian dealers known as diamond tares. In 2000, the Belgian government realized it would require a special type of cop to keep an eye on things and formed the squad. The squad. Diamond squad, diamond squad. What if we just started new lives as Patrick and Adam as part of the diamond squad? Who's Patrick and who's Adam? I think, I think I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm going to throw my I throw think my you might be Adam. Oh. 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 Oh, okay. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll find out. Let's learn more about them. Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's learn more about these folks first. So, Patrick and Adam were the first hires. Now, <laughs> as you tell these stories, now as you tell this story, I am imagining us, though. I want you to know for the rest of the episode, it's we are cast as Patrick and Adam. Patrick and Adam. <laughs> hope it works out for us. So Adam called headquarters asking for a nationwide alert. Please note, like I said, they were the first ever Diamond Police. Nobody, they had no yeah. rule books to yeah. follow. No, they wrote Nothing the rule like book. that. Absolutely. They were True the heroes book. of the Diamond Police industry. I think Legends, by the end of this episode, we might say. have to go to Antwerp and start new lives. <laughs> So he called headquarters, probably asking, like, hey, what the fuck? Hey. <laughs> I would be like, you imagine, you imagine if this is like your first week on the job and then as the fucking diamond police and you're what? thinking this is just some sort of like piece of cake gig, right? Yeah. Like, and then all of a sudden you just found, find yourself thrown into the world's largest diamond heist in history and you were at the center of it as the diamond police. Huh. As the guy who stepped on the multi thousand dollar bracelet. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> 
He stepped on the queen's jewels. Mm. I don't know what queen, but Mm-mm. someone's. Mm. If it's a drag queen, then you don't have to worry about it. Cheap. AliExpress all the way. Just replace it. <laughs> just replace it. Shit, that's what I do. I just like find some really cheap knockoff and then just put it back and just feel like, I don't know what happened. Mm. So they called headquarters asking for a nationwide alert. The Antwerp Diamond Center had been brazenly robbed. Then he dialed SecureLink, the vault's alarm company. Mm-hmm. What is the status of the alarm, he asked. Fully functional, the operator said, checking the signals coming in from the Diamond Center. The vault is secure. Adjun. Then how is it that the door is wide open and I'm standing inside the vault? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> You know, like I was like, ah, oh, there has to be a problem. <laughs> the so, poor operator on the other end's like, ah, oh, let me get my manager. <laughs> I just want to say though, if we did have a sponsorship from Simply Safe, it would be a great time to plug an ad for them. Simply Safe, <laughs> <laughs> but no free promo, no freebies, no freebies. no free promo. But no. it would be a great episode for a Simply Safe plug. <laughs> I would put it right there too. Yeah. So Adams, he's like, he's a little irritated. He's like, okay, so tell me what's up. Why am I standing in the vault What's then? <laughs> Why am I standing in the vault? Uh, just sort of glancing at the uh, devastation all around him. <laughs> he hung up and looked at Patrick. They were up against a rare breed of criminal. Uh. Cut scene to oh fucking my. Speedy having a mental breakdown <laughs> over a salami sandwich. Just fucking losing it. <laughs> just losing it. An absolute rare breed of criminal. A thoroughbred of criminals, you could say. Yeah. So let's go back a little His bit. His only weakness is Jimmy John's. <laughs> Jimmy John's. <laughs> I don't really like Jimmy John's all the time. I don't either. Though. Their bread is underrated. Uh, I like an artisan bread. Their bread is far too processed. And... Bread's hard for me. Yeah. I don't really like a lot of it super toasted. I like, you know, like, I, I just, I don't like that feeling of like bread cutting the roof of my mouth. Oh, yeah, you don't like, like it to um, be too tough. Yeah. Like the bread that they have at Cheesecake Factory. Mm, they mm-hmm. serve, it's like super, just like hard it's and tough. Hard. And I'm like, mm-mm. Yeah. But a guys. good restaurant, like the Outback and their pumpernickel loaves. Mm, nice and fresh soft. For out you. of the oven. I tell you what, when I used to work there, that's all I used to eat. Oh, yeah. Fucking pumpernickel loaves. Yeah. And that's all I ate. It's a bread and water guy. butter. Whenever I'd get fucking, fr- whenever I had a full speedy meltdown at work, <laughs> it's just me in the back, just like scooping large chunks of butter with pumpernickel bread and shoving my face in it. I remember during like the throes of like probably the worst of my obesity, I w- <laughs> I would eat those pumpernickel loaves and the Outback mac and cheese also w- while you worked there, which yep. is probably why we were fucking around with that. But um. Yeah, I would eat the Outback mac and cheese and the pumpernickel loaves. And then if I was feeling a little spicy, I'd get a side of garlic mashed potatoes. It's a wonder that I even like have any intestines left. Don't like you? it's a wonder that I that I have ever pooped in my life. Don't you also like the um didn't you used to order like the was it the clam chowder or some soup? Yeah. Didn't you used to get the clam chowder? Yeah. Yep. Sometimes, occasionally. Yep. yep. I would swap the clam chowder and the potatoes, I think. Yeah. Sometimes. Well, there you go. Yeah. Back oh, man, to our those story. days are gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, look at a piece of bread and it's like, you've gained 18 pounds. Absolutely. Uh, so 
we're going to take it back in the story. We're at the point now. Patrick and Adam are like super confused. Yeah, they're confused, but they're on the case. Leonardo and Speedy are, you know, dealing with what they're dealing with. And then yeah. the rest of our crewmates are. with the are, loss of a salami sandwich. Over there, yeah. So we're going to take it back about 18 months. Okay. 18 months earlier in the summer of 2001, Leonardo sipped an espresso at a cafe on some street that I can't pronounce in Antwerp. Got it. The Diamond District's Main Street, that's what it is. Okay. So we're going to call it Main Street. That's okay. what we're going to do. Okay. It was a cramped, narrow place with a half dozen small tables, but from the corner by the window, Leonardo could look out on the epicenter of the world's diamond trade. During business hours, Hasidic men wearing broad-brimmed hats hurried past with satchels locked to their wrists, Armored cars idled tensely while burly courier, couriers, couriers with handguns wheeled away small black suitcases. There were people in bright blue suits, merchants wearing loop, loops, 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 loops. There you go. <laughs> wearing loops around there their necks uh, and people with reading glasses pushed up on their modeled heads. I don't know what modeled means. Speckled. Speckled. Maybe there they we were go. like old liver spots. Maybe. I'm not really sure. Billions of dollars in diamonds pass by the cafe's window. During the day, they travel from office to office in briefcases, coat pockets, and off the shelf rollies. At night, all those gems are locked up in safes and underground vaults. It's one of the densest concentrations of wealth in the world. Huh. It's also a thief's paradise. In 2000, Leonardo rented a small office in the Diamond Center, one of the area's largest buildings. He presented himself as a gem importer based in Italy and scheduled meetings with numerous dealers. He bought small stones, paid cash, dressed well, and cheerfully mangled the French language. Mm. The dealers probably never knew that they had just welcomed one of the world's best jewel thieves. Into their circle. Mm -hmm. By his own account, Leonardo had pulled off dozens of major robberies by 2000. It wasn't just about the money anymore. He stole because he was born to be a thief. We're getting a little much here, Leo. It's like, <laughs> it's such a vibe. Like, I mean, it, yeah. This, not gonna why is lie, this not a like, movie? I kind of want to sleep with him. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen he's, what he looks he like, so like I don't he'd know about be very that. Suave. But the vibe I'm getting, I think there's probably a really thick mustache involved. But you we'll can continue. I'll, I'll look into you do it. That. He still remembers every detail of his first robbery. It was 1958. He was six. His mother had sent him out for milk, and he came back with five thousand lira, which was about eight dollars. The milkman had been asleep, and young Leo rifled through his drawers. His mother beat him, but it didn't matter. He had found his calling. He's like, yeah, know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. In elementary school, he filched money from his teachers. As a teenager, he stole cars and learned to pick locks. In his 20s, he devoted himself to the study of people, tracking jewelry salesmen around Italy for weeks just to understand their habits. In his 30s, he began to assemble teams of thieves, each with their own specialty. He knew lockpicking experts, alarm aces, safe crackers, guys who could tunnel under anything, and a man who could scale the sleek exteriors of office buildings. This sounds like an absolute movie. Yeah. 
I'm into it. I want to know. Do these people like this really exist? Uh, I mean, apparently this is a real case. Each job brought a different mix of thieves into play. I love it's like it's like playing a game where you just like build your crew. Yeah. Into it. Except we just we have to customize them, get them cool outfits and like all of that. Yeah. If it were me. Buy all the expansion packs. Most, including uh, Leonardo, lived in or near the area, and the group came to be known as the School of Turin, which is the area they were in. Leonardo's specialty, if you would be wondering, was charm. Ah, and Ah. oral sex. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Charm. (laughs) That's the part of the, when they have their intro, and then like everyone gets their own titles, and it's like, Safe cracker, you know, Leonardo, the charmer. <laughs> and he just comes up from between a pair of legs to look at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. <sighs> so acting the part of the jolly jeweler, he was invited into offices, workshops, and even vault rooms to inspect merchandise. He would buy a few stones and then a week or a month later, steal the target's entire stock in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Antwerp provided a wealth of opportunity and a good place to fence hot property. A diamond necklace stolen in Italy could be dismantled and its individual gems sold for cash in Antwerp. He came to town about twice a month, stayed a few days at a small apartment near the Diamond District, then drove home to his wife and kids in the foothills of the Alps. What a twist. <laughs> what a twist. You wanted a twist. He comes home from this fucking diamond heist to the wife and kids. Damn. Okay. Foothills of the Alps, no less. Okay. When he had stolen goods to sell, he dealt with only a few trusted buyers, as one should. Now, as he finished his espresso, one of them, a Jewish dealer, came in and sat down to chat. Actually, I want to talk to you about something a little unusual, the dealer said casually. Hmm. Maybe we could walk a little. Oh, uh uh-huh. They headed out, and once they were clear of the district, the dealer picked up the conversation. His tone had changed, however. The casualness was gone. I'd like to hire you for a robbery, he said. A big robbery. Biggin. Largest. Largest whatever. Big one. The agreement was straightforward. For an initial payment of 100,000 euros, Leonardo would answer a simple question. Could the vault in the Antwerp Diamond Center be robbed? He was pretty sure the answer was no. He was a tenant in the building and rented a safe deposit box in the vault to secure his own stash. He viewed it as the safest place to keep valuables in Antwerp, but for 100,000 euros, he was happy to photograph the place and show the dealer how daunting it really was. So he strolled into the Diamond District with a pen poking out of his breast pocket. At a glance, it looked like a simple highlighter, but the cap contained a miniaturized digital camera capable of storing 100 high-resolution images. Now, photography is strictly limited in the district, but nobody noticed his little pin cam. Uh-huh. Except for me. I couldn't do that if I was like a spy and I'd be like clicking it and then <laughs> I'd be so nervous. It's like a little click pin. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what's that? You'd be showing it off. What are you doing? What you are you got there? Eye contact. Is that, a, is that, I'm sorry, is that a, is that a Bic? I don't know. <laughs> what you got? What's that? I don't, I don't know that brand. Sharpie? Huh, I don't see a brand name on that. Huh. I immediately just fucking cave. He began his reconnaissance at the police surveillance booth on a street leading into the center of the district. 
Behind the booth's bulletproof glass, two officers monitored the area. I'm not quite sure if these are our guys. Just know that they're two officers. All right. Might be. You're not sure if might it's. Might be Patrick and Adjum. It might be good old P&A. P&A. <laughs> so the three main blocks of the district bristled with video cameras. Every inch of the street and sky appeared to be under watch. The booth also contained the controls for the retractable steel cylinders that are deployed to prevent vehicular access to the district. As Leonardo walked past, he began taking pictures. He headed toward the Diamond Center itself, a gray 14-story fortress-like building on the south end of the district. It had a private security force that operated a nerve center located at the entrance. Access was blocked by metal turnstiles, and visitors were questioned by guards. Leonardo flashed his tenant ID card and breezed through. His camera captured crisp images of everything. He took the elevator, descending two floors underground to a small claustrophobic room, the vault antechamber. A three-ton steel vault door dominated the far wall. It alone had six layers of security. There was a combination wheel with numbers from 0 to 99. To enter, four numbers had to be dialed, and the digits could be seen only through a small lens on the top of the wheel. There were 100 million possible combinations. Power tools wouldn't do the trick. The door was rated to withstand 12 hours of nonstop drilling. Of course, the first vibrations of a drill bit would set off the embedded seismic alarm anyway. Mm-hmm. The door was monitored by a pair of metal plates, one on the door itself and one on the wall just to the right. When armed, the plates formed a magnetic field. If the door were open, the field would break, triggering an alarm. To disarm the field, a code had to be typed into a nearby keypad. Finally, the lock required an almost impossible to duplicate foot-long key. Long. I feel like if I worked here, I would set the alarm off like every day. I feel like I would Whoops. fuck it up on the daily. <laughs> Whoops. Didn't mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I used to do that work all the time with the like random fire emergency exit because like it was our way out. And so like if you used your, your manager key to open it to get out. But if you used it the like wrong way, it would. I did that all the time. Yeah. So, during business hours, the door was actually left open, leaving only a steel grate to prevent access. But Leonardo had no intention of muscling his way in when people were around and then shooting his way out. Any break-in would have to be done at night, after the guards had locked down the vault, emptied the building, and shuttered the entrances with steel roll gates. During those quiet midnight hours, nobody patrolled the interior. The guards trusted their technological defenses. Mm. Call the police, but not for me. <laughs> Nota Bertolo, Leonardo, such a long name, our guy Leo, pressed a buzzer on the steel grate. A guard upstairs glanced at the video feed, recognized him, and remotely unlocked the steel grate. Leo stepped inside the vault. It was silent. He was surrounded by thick concrete walls. The place was outfitted with motion, heat, and light detectors. A security camera transmitted his movements to the guard station, and the feed was recorded on videotape. The safe deposit boxes themselves were made of steel and copper and required a key and combination to open. Each box had about 17,576 possible combinations. Hmm. Leo went through the motions of opening and closing his box and then walked out. The vault was one of the hardest targets he'd ever seen. 
It took five months for the diamond dealer to call back after Leo told him the heist was impossible. He had even given him the photographs to prove it. Leo thought that would be the end of it, but now the dealer wanted to meet at an address outside Antwerp. When Leo arrived, the dealer was waiting for him in front of an abandoned warehouse. I want to introduce you to some people, he said, unlocking the battered front door. Um, huh? Nah. Mm. Nah. Inside, a massive structure was covered with black plastic tarps. The dealer pulled uh, back a corner and they uh, ducked underneath. No, um, we're not doing this. Mm, I've seen too many movies. Mm, we're not. Uh-uh. So at first, Leo was confused. He seemed to be standing in the vault antechamber. To his left, he saw the vault door. He was inside an exact replica of the Diamond Center's vault level. Now, how much money did it cost to build that? Probably $100 I, million. I feel like it would have cost. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I just feel like you could have bought the diamonds at that point. Pretty much. So everything was the same. As far as Leo could tell, the dealer had reconstructed it based on the photographs he had provided. Leo felt like he had stepped into a movie with us. <laughs> Yeah. As well. We're with you, Leo. Uh Us too. So inside the fake vault, three Italians were having a quiet conversation. Of course they were. Of course. For the first time fucking ever in the history (laughs) of Italy. Okay. (laughs) They stopped talking when they saw the dealer and Leo. The dealer introduced them, though Leo refuses to reveal their names, referring to them only by nicknames. The genius specialized in alarm systems. According to the dealer, he could disable any kind of alarm. Mm. But can he disable this place? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. I, I had to go that. over there. Uh, you can disable this? Leo asked, pointing at the replica vault. I can disable most of it, the genius said with a smile. You're going to have to do one or two things yourself, though. The tall, muscular man was the monster. Uh-huh. I like him. Uh, (laughs) Sounds like Michael Myers, if you ask me. Tall, muscular? Mm -hmm. Okay. He was called that because he was monstrously good at everything he did. (laughs) What the fuck? What a fucking edgelord shit is that, though? He was an expert Uh. lock picker, electrician, mechanic, and driver, and had great physical strength. Everybody was a little scared of him, which was another reason for the nickname. You ready for our next guy? Yeah, I'm ready. The King of Keys. (laughs) (laughs) He was a quiet, older man. His Mm -hmm. age set him apart from the others. Mm -hmm. He looked like somebody's grandfather. The diamond dealer said that the wizened locksmith was among the best key forgers in the world. One of his contributions would be to duplicate the nearly impossible to duplicate foot-long vault key. Just get me a clear video of it, the man told Leo. I'll do the rest. That's not so easy, Leo pointed out. The king of keys shrugged. That wasn't his problem. (laughs) Not my job. (laughs) Don't worry, the genius said. I'll help. Uh So in September of 2002, a guard stepped up to the vault door and began to spin the combination wheel. It was 7 a.m. He was right on schedule. Directly above his head and invisible behind the glare of a recessed light, A fingertip-sized video camera captured his every move. With each spin, the combination came to rest on a number. A small antenna broadcast the image. 
Nearby, in a storage room beside the vault, an ordinary-looking red fire extinguisher was strapped to the wall. The extinguisher was fully functional, but a watertight compartment inside housed electronics that picked up and recorded the video signal. When the guard finished dialing the combination, he inserted the vault's key. The video camera recorded a sharp image of it before it disappeared inside the keyhole. He spun the handle and the vault door swung open. Thursday morning, February 13th, 2003, two days before the heist. The thud, thud, thud of a police helicopter beat over a convoy of police cars escorting an armored truck through the heart of Antwerp. They blew past posters of Venus Williams. She was due in town. Huh. <laughs> That's cool. Um, to compete in the Proximus Diamond Games tennis tournament. The escorts uh, bristled with firepower. They belonged to a special diamond delivery protection unit, and each cop carried a fully automatic weapon. Mm-hmm. Their cargo, De Beers' monthly shipment of diamonds, worth millions. Now, De Beers is the world's largest diamond mining company, and in 2003, it controlled 55% of the global diamond supply and operated mines in South Africa, Botswana, and many other places. The rough, unpolished gems were flown to London, where they were divided and placed in 120 boxes, one for each official De Beers distributor, many of which were headquartered in Antwerp. Every month, Antwerp's share of the boxes was flown into Belgium and transferred to a Brinks armored truck. Once the truck doors slammed shut, the convoy sped away, sirens wailing. The vehicles rocketed past the guard gate at the entrance of the district, and the giant metal cylinders rose out of the ground behind them, blocking any further automotive access. The armed escorts fanned out on foot around the armored truck to form a perimeter. No one was allowed near the vehicle. The doors swung open, and the boxes were quickly carried through an unremarkable entrance in the middle of the block. It was payday. The Diamond District was flush. Leo was buzzed into the vault the next day, Friday, February 14th, the day before the robbery. He was alone. In his jacket pocket, he carried a can of women's hairspray. A security camera. <laughs> All right. <laughs> a security camera recorded his movements. Police would later watch the footage, but the guard had gotten used to the Italian's frequent visit and wasn't paying attention. Leo stepped away from the safe deposit boxes and pulled out the aerosol can. With a quick, practiced circular movement, he covered the combined heat and motion sensor with a thin coat of transparent, oily mist. Hmm. The vault was momentarily filled with the smell of a woman's hair. Was it Tresemme? That's what I need to know. Because hmm. I know that smell. He 360'd that shit. I got a bottle over there in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Aquanet, maybe? I don't know. Mm. Aquanet be too thick. <laughs> That's true. So it was a simple but effective hack. The oily film would temporarily insulate the sensor from fluctuations in the room's temperature, and the alarm went off only if it sensed both heat and motion. Still, it was hard to guess how long the trick would work. Once the monster was in the vault, he had to install the sensor bypass before his body heat penetrated the film. He might have five minutes. He might have less. Nobody knew for sure. Mm. So, across town, apparently Venus Williams did really well. Oh, so good. there's that. Uh, so across town from <laughs> that, <laughs> while she was doing while she was doing that, we got our diamond highs going on over here. The diamond district was deserted. 
Leo drove his rented uh, gray car past the city's soot-covered central train station and turned onto a road that skirted the district. He pulled to the curb, and the monster, the genius, the king of keys... And don't forget our friend Speedy. And fucking Speedy. And Speedy. And fucking Speedy. Stepped out carrying large duffel bags. The King of Keys picked the lock on a rundown office building, as the King of Keys should. Of course. And they disappeared through the door. It was a little past midnight. The genius led them out the rear of the building into a private garden that abutted the back of the Diamond Center. It was one of the few places in the district that wasn't under video surveillance. Using a ladder he had previously hidden there, the genius climbed up to a small terrace on the second floor. A heat-sensing infrared detector monitored the terrace, but he approached it slowly from behind a large, homemade polyester shield. The low thermal conductivity of the polyester blocked his body heat from reaching the sensor. He placed the shield directly in front of the detector, preventing it from sensing anything. The balcony was now safe. While the rest of the team scrambled up, the genius disabled an alarm sensor on one of the balcony's windows. One by one, the thieves climbed through the window, dropped into a stairwell, and descended to the darkened vault antechamber. They covered the security cameras with black plastic bags and flipped on the lights. The vault door stood imposingly before them. The building was quiet. No alarms had been triggered. The police never determined how the men had entered the building. The genius pulled a custom-made slab of rigid aluminum out of his bag and affixed heavy-duty double-sided tape to one side. He stuck it on the two plates that regulated the magnetic field on the right side of the vault door and unscrewed their bolts. The magnetic plates were now loose, but the sticky aluminum held them together, allowing the genius to pivot them out of the way and tape them to the antechamber wall. The plates were still side-by-side and active, the magnetic field never wavered, but they no longer monitored the door. Some 30 hours later, the authorities would marvel at that ingenuity. It was clever. Yeah. Pretty clever. So next, the King of Keys played out a hunch. Is this something that you do at this point? I'm just going to play out a hunch. I'm just, I, I, I think Hey, guys, work. guess what? I know we've planned this for like a really long time. And there's lots of details and shit that's went in, but let's. A hunch about something. Let's just let's just call an audible. Let's just wing it. Let's Let's just play it by ear. You you say that like we wouldn't do like we wouldn't wing the entire thing. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) In Leo's videos, the guard usually visited a utility room just before opening the vault. When the thieves searched the room, they found a major security lapse. The original vault key was hanging inside. What? <laughs> they had just left the key? Apparently there was like a little, uh, like I said, like a little uh, closet or something off to the side. Uh-huh. And so they didn't know what it was that the security guard was doing when he would go into the closet. So that's why our guy was like, I got a hunch about something. Let's, let's look in here and see what's probably that. in this fucking closet. <laughs> and then he opens the door and it's just there. And he's that's, like, that's what you get with the king of anything. keys. You hired the best. That key called him. It called to him from that room. He was like, <laughs> I hear the keys. It's like that song in Frozen 2 where she's like, I can hear you. <laughs> I, I guess it is. If I had any sort of experience with Frozen 2. My husband loves it. And so he's just really, he's really into it. And it's a whole song where she's like, I can hear you. She hears like the voice of, I don't know, fucking snow. Schizophrenia? I don't, 
I think it might be schizophrenia. <laughs> Maybe. But our, our guy here knows what the fuck he's doing. So when the thieves searched the room, they found the key. The king of keys grabbed the original. There was no point in letting the safe manufacturers know that their precious key could be copied. And mm. the police still don't know that a duplicate was made. Do they? Because this is an article right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think they might have a Maybe they tip. have a clue now? Maybe. I don't know. They might have a tip. The king of keys slotted the original in the keyhole and waited while the genius dialed in the combination they had gleaned from the video. A moment later, the genius nodded. The monster turned off the lights. They didn't want to trigger the light detector in the vault when the door opened. In the darkness, the king of keys turned the key and spun a four-pronged handle. The bolts that secured the door retracted and it swung heavily open. Speedy. Oh, God. Now it's time for him to showcase his <laughs> We never his quite discussed talents. what Speedy's talents Yeah, what's were. his job? I Sweating? I would imagine he would have been a driver, at least I would think. But I thought the monster was like really good at driving. He was a good driver, but I would imagine Speedy would be the driver. Mm. I mean, shit, if you got a name like Speedy. Anyway, Speedy ran up the stairwell. (laughs) Uh huh. It was his job. Oh, here we go. This is where we find it out. It was his job to stay in touch with Leo. Oh. (laughs) But Uh there was no cell phone reception down in the vault. God damn it. This bitch can't even get a bar. We out here. We out here disabling fucking heat detectors, fucking motion detectors. We we fucking somehow jimmied two magnetic plates off of this door and stuck it to the side of a wall. Uh-huh. We didn't found a key and opened up this like crazy ass vault thing. And, and you can't even get a bar on your cell phone to give somebody a damn he's call. Like, he said, shit, you had one job. Satellite phone, baby, satellite phone. Well, so he ran up the stairwell to get a reception. <laughs> Damn. That's a cell phone commercial. So upstairs, he got a signal. Yeah. I imagine it's like one of those old Mentos commercials where he's got like a problem. It's like, da, 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 da. <laughs> Actually, Me this whole service? scene is a Mentos commercial, especially with the King of Keys. Like, oh, we've got a key here that we need. And it's like, da, 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 da. <laughs> and then it's like, you've got the song and then he just finds the key in the fucking closet. closet. opens. Yep. Mentos, if you're into this. <laughs> if you're into this. <laughs> Let me know. I don't I don't own the story by any means. But hey, pitch it. Um <laughs> so anyway, he got his signal and dialed Leo. We're in, he said, and hung up. That was his only job. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Leo put his phone back on the dashboard. He was sitting in the car and could see the front of the Diamond Center a block and a half away. His police scanner was quiet. He took a sip of cold coffee and waited. In the antechamber, the King of Keys deftly picked the lock on the metal grate. He shuffled backward as the monster propped the grate open with two cans of paint he found in the storeroom. This storeroom has got some major it's liabilities here. Yeah. What do they paint? Um... <laughs> Interesting. Like the rest of the team, the monster wore plastic gloves. The police would find no prints on the cans. It was now up to him to disable the remaining systems. The monster oriented himself in the darkness at the vault entrance. The only sound was the steady breathing of the others behind him. His body was already projecting heat into the vault. The hairspray on the infrared sensor wouldn't last. Every second he was there would raise the ambient temperature. He had to move quickly but keep his heart rate low. 
As he practiced in the warehouse, he strode exactly 11 steps into the middle of the room, reached for the ceiling, and pushed back a panel. He felt the security system's main inbound and outbound wires. An automatic electric pulse constantly shot into the room and back out along these wires. If any of the sensors were tripped, the circuit would break. When a pulse shot into the room, it expected an answer. If it didn't get one, it activated the alarm. With his hands over his head, the monster used a tool to strip the plastic coating off the wires. It was a delicate task. One slip could cut through, instantly breaking the circuit and tripping the alarm. The police would later discover stripped wires in the ceiling and guess that the thieves considered cutting them only to lose their nerve. But Leo says that the monster knew exactly what he was doing. Once the copper wires were exposed, he clipped a new pre-cut piece of wire between the inbound and outbound cables. This bridge rerouted the incoming electric pulse over to the outbound wire before the signal reached the sensors. It no longer mattered what happened further down the line. The sensors were out of the loop, and it was now safe for the others to enter. Still, the men were cautious. They blinded the heat uh, and motion detector with a styrofoam box, covered the light detector with tape, and then set to work. The King of Keys unloaded a homemade, hand-craked drill and fitted it with a thin shaft of metal. He jammed the shaft into one of the locks and cranked for about three minutes until the lock broke, snapping open the box. The guys took turns yanking the contents out. Since they had memorized the layout of the vault and the replica, they worked in the dark, turning on their flashlights only for split seconds, enough to position the drill over the next box. But in those muffled flashes, they could glimpse their duffel bags overflowing with gold bars, millions in Israeli, Swiss, American, European, and British currencies, and leather satchels that contained the mother load, rough and polished diamonds. They resisted the urge to examine their haul. They were running out of time. By 5.30 a.m., they had opened 109 boxes. A tamp-down giddiness pervaded the dark vault, but they had to stop. The streets would fill with people soon, and they needed to transfer their bags into Leo's car. Speedy relayed the message to him. <laughs> they were coming out. I'm coming out. That's what I imagine happening. That's what I would play. Like, hold on, yeah. let me get my earbuds in. Let me play this good. for a moment. It took almost an hour for the team to haul the bags up the stairs, pass by the infrared sensor, lower the loot down the ladder, and gather in the hallway of the decrepit office building. Leo idled at the curb while on the phone with Speedy. A bus came and went, and then the street was empty. Now, he hissed. In the pre-dawn half-light, the four men raced out of the building. They jammed the bags in the car, slammed the doors, and headed off on foot for Leo's apartment. He put the car in gear and slowly pulled away. In half an hour, they were huddled around the bags in the apartment. The monster unzipped one and pulled out a leather satchel. It was time to celebrate. He opened the satchel and looked up, bewildered. It was empty. He took out another. It was also empty. A wave of anxiety swept the room. They unzipped all the other duffel bags and rifled through the satchels. More often than not, there was nothing in them. Something had gone wrong. The diamonds should have been there. We've been set up, Leo said. It was a setup! <gasps> and another the twist. Fuck? So Leo stepped into a scalding hot shower while the others made salami sandwiches <laughs> huh. in the kitchen. He needed some clarity. 
I bet he fucking did. The fatigue was weighing on him. In the weeks preceding the heist, he had seen many of the satchels in the offices of the Diamond Tears, and they were always filled with inventory. He expected the total take to exceed $100 million. Now they were looking at a fraction of that, probably about $20 million. Leo reflected. Oh, well, not even <laughs> worth having. I mean, really? I mean, it's only about 20 million. Leo reflected on his interactions with the diamond dealer, and a thought flashed through his mind. Maybe the dealer wasn't operating alone. If he tipped off a group of his fellow merchants, they could have pulled their inventory out of the vault before the heist. Each could then claim that their gems were stolen and collect the insurance while secretly keeping their stones. Hmm. Most had safes in their offices. They could have simply kept the stock there. Leo realized that the heist he had spent so much time planning might have actually been part of an elaborate insurance Insurance scheme. Yeah. He shut off the water. A half hour earlier, he was a king. Now, he felt like a pawn. Speedy and Leo were back on the E19, heading out of Antwerp. (laughs) It was 6 o'clock on Sunday evening. Leo settled in for the 10-hour drive back to Turin. The garbage bag filled with incriminating evidence sat in the back seat. Leo planned to stop in France and burn it, leaving no trace of the crime. But we know Speedy was having his trouble. He was having his moment. His face was ashen and his eyes darted madly at the cars around them. Finally, after only 20 minutes on the road, he snapped. I can't do the drive, he said. Mm. The guy was melting down. Leo told him to take it easy. He'd drop him at the train station in Brussels if that's what he wanted. It might actually be nicer to do the trip without his friend driving him crazy. Maybe. We can't take the garbage into Brussels, Speedy stammered. The city was crawling with cops. Maybe they would be looking for them. They couldn't run the risk. They had to drop the bag immediately. Pull off up here, he said abruptly from the passenger seat. This is a ridiculous time to be having a panic attack. Just... Pull off, his friend snapped. Leo took the exit <laughs> yeah, I always and try surveyed. to time my panic attacks whenever it's most convenient <laughs> yeah. to those around me. Not the time. Yeah. Leo took the exit and surveyed the darkened surroundings. There's a dirt road, Speedy said, peering into a forest. It'll be perfect. So we've got this guy. His name's August Van Camp. Mm-hmm. Who comes into play. Hmm. He likes weasels. Oh, okay. <laughs> he How likes so? weasels. Yeah. How does he like them? He's 59 years old. He's mm-hmm. a retired mm-hmm. Belgian grocer, and he had two weasels. He called them Mickey and Minnie. Okay. And he enjoyed sending them down holes in the forest. Uh-huh. Typically, okay. a rabbit came rocketing out the other end. It was a lot of fun for him. <laughs> it was a lot of fun for him. Yeah. So in 1998, he bought a narrow strip of forest alongside the E19 motorway. It was about a five-minute drive from his house, and if you ignored the sound of cars hurtling past at 80 miles an hour, it was a pretty 12 acres of trees with a gurgling stream. There was also a lot of holes with rabbits in them. But because it adjoined the highway, Van Camp found a lot of garbage. Who is this fucking dude? <laughs> he's, he's kind of like he's kind of like a uh, filch it, from like Harry Potter, from what I imagine. Everybody in this fucking story is a character from a movie. I know. He just enjoys letting his weasels go chase rabbits <laughs> yeah. and bought this but it's piece of shit land. He bought this kinda... piece of land for right. that, right? right? It comes into play. Crazy. So, and he's kind of mad because, you know, he's got to pick up all this garbage, right? So the local teenagers once decided to have a party there and burn down a little hut he'd built. It made him fume with anger. He's fuming. I bet. So when he found garbage, he phoned the police. Uh, uh. 
uh-huh. who had gotten used to his calls. <laughs> like it's just, surprised they even responded. It's just him. So a typical conversation would go is, you know, he'd let them know that the kids have made a mess on his land again. They're like, I'm sorry to hear that, Mr. Van Camp. And he's like, I demand you send someone to investigate. And they're like, we'll pass along your request. Sure. Van Camp rarely heard back. (laughs) So while one morning, however, while he was hunting with his weasels, Monday morning, February 17th to be exact, Van Camp was incensed. To find yet another pile of junk in the underbrush. We left this fucking sandwich here. <laughs> After a flash of peak that made him puff pay. I don't know what that. After uh-huh. a flash, a hot flash uh-huh. that made flash. him puff out his cheeks, throw up his arms and wonder what the world was coming to. He knelt down and glared at the refuse. He wanted to be able to describe to the cops what he had to put up with. There was videotape strewn all over the place. There was also some white envelopes printed with the words Diamond Center, Antwerp. Van Camp's irritation increased. <laughs> Kids, he grumbled. This guy is just well, raging I think out. we found me. I think that's, this is who we found. So at home, he punched in the number for the police and asked to lodge a complaint. It's Rosie didn't have him on speed, dog. <laughs> the officer listened as Van Camp tallied the mess. Is <laughs> 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 he tallied them? Just reporting on. When Van Camp mentioned Diamond Center envelopes, the officer broke in. What was that? He said, excuse me. Oh, yeah. Sorry, ma'am. <laughs> Excuse me. Antwerp Diamond Center envelopes, Van Camp sputtered. This time, the police came running. By mid-afternoon, a half dozen detectives swarmed the forest, painstakingly gathering the garbage and collecting stray gems. Van Camp- They left gems? Yeah, they left diamonds yeah, glittering true. in the mud, you that said. That is true. I did See, Van that. Camp should have kept his damn mouth shut, and then he could have gathered up all them diamonds and quietly not said shit to nobody. <laughs> Absolutely. And then he could have bought him some nicer Well, listen language. to this. Van Camp watched with... <laughs> he watched with rage. Van Camp watched with satisfaction. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> In my mind, his two weasels are like sitting on each of his shoulders and he's like wrapped in a blanket just like, mm, yes. Yes. The, pol- <laughs> the police were finally treating his litter situation with proper respect. Ah. Uh, uh. <laughs> Within hours, the trash began to fill the evidence room at the Diamond Squad headquarters in Antwerp. A member of the squad bent over the clear plastic bags looking for immediate clues. A pile of torn paper seemed promising. It didn't take long to reassemble the pieces like a jigsaw puzzle. It was an invoice for a low-light video surveillance system. The buyer? Leonardo Notarbatolo. So fucking dumb. Why did you not use another name? Why did you not use another name? Uh, yeah. Back at Van Camp's property, another detective knelt among the thorny brambles and peered at a small, jagged piece of paper poking out of the mud. He carefully lifted it free and held it up to the light. It was a business card that bore the address and phone number of Elio Di Honorio, an Italian electronics expert tied to a series of robberies. Leo has consistently refused to identify his accomplices, but all evidence indicates that... Dionorio is the genius. Mm. 
The lab techs also bagged a half-eaten salami sandwich. Of course. They found um they found antipasto italiano salami packaging nearby and sent it along to Diamond Squad headquarters. <laughs> Send this to headquarters. We've got a salami situation Damn here. Sandwich, man. Four days later, the detectives executed a search warrant on the apartment Leo rented in Antwerp. In a cupboard, they found a receipt from a local grocery store for the antipasto Italiano salami. Damn it. <laughs> the receipt uh, had a timestamp. Hmm. <laughs> a detective drove to the grocer and asked the manager to rewind his closed circuit television to 12.56 p.m. on Thursday, February 13th. When the video came to a halt and snapped into focus, there was an image of a tall, muscular Italian purchasing salami. (laughs) His name, Ferdinando Finato, the man most likely to be the monster. I love that each of them had like separate like jobs. Uh The monster went and got the fucking salami. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So on Monday, about 36 hours after the job was completed, the team of thieves reassembled at a bar in Italy, a small town about 50 miles northeast of Milan. They had agreed to meet the diamond dealer there and divide the loot. The dealer would get a third for financing the operation and putting the team together. The others would split the rest. They had anticipated a haul in the tens of millions each. Now they were looking at roughly three million per man. It was still a lot of money, but they couldn't help feeling they'd been played. Mm. Everybody had a lot of questions for the dealer. Hour after hour, he didn't arrive. Leo was already uneasy about what had happened in the forest. He knew he had made a mistake. He should have turned around after he dropped off Speedy at the train station and gone back to burn the garbage. It was an embarrassing oversight. (laughs) But what really irked him was that he had vouched for his friend and the guy had cracked. Yeah. They waited at the bar until closing, drinking espressos and then beer. The dealer never showed. Mm. On Thursday night, Leo ate dinner with his family at home outside of Turin. He tried to pretend that everything was normal. As usual, his three-year-old granddaughter played with his cell phone and made him laugh. He momentarily forgot his worries. Uh, His biggest problem was that he needed to go back to Belgium. The rental car was due in Antwerp the next day. The plan had always been to return it and show his face at the Diamond Center. That way, if the cops were looking for tenants who disappeared, he wouldn't be on the list. It would also give him an opportunity to clean his apartment more thoroughly. He told his family that he'd be leaving early the next morning. His wife decided to come along. She hadn't seen much of him lately. I, I bet. They you could, ain't thin to see she much said, of him, babe. She said they could even have a nice dinner party with some friends from the yeah. Netherlands. She said, baby, take me out to dinner. She, yeah, you just made, what, $3 million? Yeah. The next morning, as the Notabertolos blew through the Swiss Alps, the police surrounded their home in Italy. Acting on the surveillance system invoice discovered on Van Camp's land, the Belgian diamond detectives had asked the Italian police to search Leo's house. His 24-year-old son, Marco, was there and refused to open the front door. He frantically dialed his father's cell phone while the police smashed the door open. In Leo's jacket pocket, his phone flashed but made no sound. His granddaughter had accidentally turned off the ringer the night before. Marco called his mother's phone. It was turned off. He tried his dad's phone repeatedly. It just rang and rang. Tragic. Unaware, Leo sped toward Antwerp. Tragic. Even the granddaughter. Yeah. Pivotal. (laughs) As Leo drove back to Belgium, Pays and, or Pat, excuse me, Patrick, 
Patrick and Adjum wondered whether they'd ever catch the thieves. They could be anywhere by now. Brazil, Thailand, Russia. It never occurred to the detectives that one of the robbers would walk right back into the district. But that's exactly what Leo did. While one of his friends from the Netherlands waited on the street outside the Diamond Center, Leo waved at the security guard. Hey, how you doing? Damn, he really thought How's he it had going, it on Bob? Lock. He, th- he really thought it was going to be fun. Uh, and dropped in to collect his mail. The guard knew that the police were investigating Leo and phoned the building manager, who immediately called the detectives. <laughs> Patrick and Adam on the case. When the police arrived, they found Leo chatting with the building manager and began peppering him with questions. The friend took off as Leo stalled for time, pretending to have trouble understanding French and claiming that he couldn't remember the exact address of his own apartment. He just knew how to walk there. Mm. Let's go then, Patrick said, and loaded the Italian into a car. Eventually, Leo pointed out the apartment. As the police car pulled to the curb, Leo's wife and the friends who'd come for dinner... Stepped like, out of the building. Can we eat though? Can we go eat? That's us. So we found us. We're I'm, like we were promised we dinner. It, we were supposed to eat like an hour ago, man. What's going on? Right. So they were loaded down with bags, and one carried a rolled up carpet. Another minute, and they would have been gone. The police took everyone into custody, <laughs> even the two <laughs> friends who just wanted to fucking eat dinner, man. <laughs> yes. So the bags contained critical evidence. The police dug out a series of prepaid SIM cards that were linked to cell phones used almost exclusively to call three Italians, the genius, and then, you know, the monster, and the person Mm. most likely to be Speedy, and a couple other associates. On the night of the heist, a cell tower in the Diamond District logged the presence of all three, plus Leo. The day Leo was arrested, Italian police broke open the safe at his home in Turin, They found 17 polished diamonds attached to certificates that the Belgian diamond detectives traced back to the vault. More gems were vacuumed out of the rolled up carpet from Leo's Antwerp apartment. Mm. The Belgian courts came down hard. They found Leo guilty of orchestrating the heist and sentenced him to 10 years. Huh. Seems like (laughs) seems pretty lenient. 10 years. I was expecting more. They said they came down hard. We're going to give you 10 years. Yeah. Huh. With the cell phone records and the peculiarly precise salami sandwich evidence, <laughs> the Belgian detectives persuaded French police to raid the home of Fanatos, who was our monster, monster king of keys, whoever, mm-hmm. uh, persuaded the police to raid uh, his girlfriend's home on the French Riviera. Mm. They retrieved marked $100 bills that the detectives say belonged to one of the Diamond Center victims. Legal proceedings dragged on, but Fanato was finally arrested in in Italy in November of 2007 and is serving a five-year sentence there. Damn. When questioned by police in Italy, uh, Di Honorio admitted that he had installed security cameras in Leo's office but denied any involvement in the crime. Nonetheless, his DNA was found on some adhesive tape left in the vault. She had your plastic gloves there. He was extradited to Belgium in November of 2007 to begin a five-year sentence. The high-strung uh, Pietro Tavano is serving, uh, who was one of the other fucking guys in there, it might have been King of Keys, I don't remember, is serving a five-year sentence in Italy for the crime. He has refused to allow his attorney to make any statements on his behalf. A fifth thief has never been identified, though police know of his existence via cell phone records and DNA traces. And that's Speedy? That is the King of Keys, who was never apprehended. 
Ah, the King of Keys. They never, they never, they never got, got the, the King, King of, of Keys. Keys. <laughs> yes. That's pretty cool. Yes. So that's essentially what happened. Um, Our delightful journalist here with Wired sat down with Leo and says in 2009 and says that they see Leo for the last time over the past 14 weeks where they had met seven times in the prison visiting room. Hmm. And yet questions remain. Was a hundred million dollars stolen as the police estimate or just 20 million as Leo insists? Does it make sense that the heist was part of a larger insurance scam or is Leo's story manufactured a decoy to throw suspicion on others? Yeah. Perhaps Leo's cousin, the mafia Don was behind the whole thing. Whatever the truth, where is the loot now? The murky nature of the diamond trade makes it difficult to get clear answers. For instance, detective Adam says that three quarters of the business is done under the table. Since there were roughly $25 million in legitimate claims at the time of the heist, he calculated that at least another $75 million in goods was stolen. That brought the total value of the heist to be about $100 million. If Leo's insurance scam theory is correct, it went down like this. The dealers who were in on it removed their goods, both legal and illegal, from the vault before the heist and then filed claims on the legitimate gems. Denise Oliver, the adjuster who investigated the robbery, I love that her name's Denise, Mm, mm -hmm. calls this the double whammy. (laughs) (laughs) These dealers would have gotten the insurance payouts and kept their stock. The $20 found by the thieves belonged to traders not in on the scam. Or there was no insurance scam. The thieves actually found $100 million in the vault, and Leo has spun a story to cloud the true origins of the heist. Regardless of which theory is correct, there is agreement that the thieves got away with millions that were never recovered. Leo refuses to talk about what happened to the goods, adding that it is something best discussed once he gets out of prison. Oh, I bet. In the meantime, his share may very well be waiting for him hidden somewhere in the foothills of the Italian Alps. What a story. I know. What a crazy Isn't it? freaking ride, So it's man. not like our typical story that we do with true crime. We rarely cover like heists and, heists and robberies yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. But it's kind of always been something that's like, eh, I guess it could be cool to do. But to be TBH, like a lot of those stories, like don't interest me, like yeah. old school, like yeah. robbers and stuff like that. I'm like, eh, yeah. but this one I was kind of interested in because of the whole like cinematic experience that it offered. Well, yeah, it was just one of those stories where like literally every single detail comes into play. And then yeah. you're left with a really interesting ending as to was it really an insurance scam? And did these guys get ripped off? Or did these guys go in and take exactly what they intended to take? Nobody and now knows. they're lying about $80 million. Just being nobody missing. knows. It's pretty cool. Nobody knows. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Interesting. Very And there's some really cool pictures of like, you know, some of the evidence that was that was found. Um, I didn't find a picture of the salami sandwich, Damn it. however. That's what I was gonna ask. About. <laughs> I didn't find a picture of the salami sandwich, but a lot of the like pictures and stuff that they took on the scene of like the wires and stuff mm-hmm. like that you can find online and it's really cool. Like you can see the little steel boxes and you can see the box where the hairspray was mm-hmm. used to disable the um heat and motion sensor which is which is genius honestly Mm -hmm. but interesting i thought and so i wanted to share it with you all today and so now that we have 
made our way with our uh, our loot here. Mm-hmm. I think that we can send our send us off. We can. Well, I'm not going to do it. I suppose I've talked a lot. Yeah, you've talked a lot. You've talked. I'm gonna leave that up to you. I can. I'm gonna leave that to you, Speedy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me let me get let me get sweating here. Um, No, if you guys are interested in hanging out with us uh, for sad girl hours or for whatever, uh, you can find us on Facebook, the Haunted Heart Podcast. We have a page on Facebook as well as a group a closed group it's private for your privacy you can join and your family members will not see your posts unless they are also in the group in which case they have some explaining to do too so you're fine it's mutually assured destruction it's all good you can also find us on instagram at the haunted heart podcast you can find us on twitter at the haunted heart and you can always send us an email anytime at the haunted heart podcast at gmail.com you absolutely can love to see it yeah and I think that's it. If you want to support the show, you can do that too at patreon.com slash the haunted heart. So we love that too. We do. We do. Thanks to all our wonderful, lovely patrons. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, our heist team, if you will, mm-hmm. all of our cannibal cult members, we don't have a king of keys. We've got cannibal cult and like, um, what the fuck else do we have? <laughs> we don't have the diamond squad. Heart, we have the we don't stay have... spooky squad. That is very true. We have the stay spooky squad and we are on the case. Mm-hmm. So you know what you got to do, squad. Until next time. Stay spooky. spooky.